our interpretation of that show is more about the community aspect, bringing music and food together in a meaningful way. And just as we were just talking about bringing people together to have an experience together that's, you know, a long lasting memory. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Atlanta Foodcast. This week's show is a special one, both in content and what it means for me as your host. And I am so stoked to bring you guys an interview with a band that I love, and they're right here in Atlanta, and that's the Quiet Hounds. Now, we met up for dinner at LaFat to talk about how they came together as a band and plenty of goofy things like why Happy Hour at Nakato is amazing, but also that there was a radio show that was hosted in the tower of the old Sears Roebuck building, now Pont City Market, and that was all the way back in the 20s, and this incredible experience that they are at the helm of, and that's Dinner Bell. And I don't want to spoil any of the details just yet, so I'll wait and we can get to all that later. But I also wanted to mention that you're going to hear some of their music throughout this episode. At the intro, and right now, you're listening to Quiet Violet from their 2017 album, Characteristics of Living Things. And there's plenty more to come throughout. Enjoy, friends. Okay, so we're just recording. We're just going to roll right cool. into it. So um, first and foremost, I guess we should get the easy things out of the way. I, I usually like to introduce people, but I think it's way more interesting, especially since you guys have food in front of you, or at least two of you do. Uh, let's just go like, we'll go clockwise. So to my left, who are you, sir? Uh, my name is Michael Dorio. And? <laughs> uh, what do you do, Michael? Um, <laughs> I'm a native of Atlanta, born and raised, and like Ben, I was raised in the food industry, and um, I love to eat, and, um, and maybe we'll put some like actual formalized uh, question in here. So, oh yeah, uh, what uh, what instrument or what uh, is it like position in the band? I don't know. What do you say? Um, what do you play? In, I play in the guitar band? in our band, uh, and I really feel like we in studio we kind of try to all play whatever we can to to make the song the song but my studied instrument is the guitar for sure i've heard of the guitar i like the guitar are you done yet yeah (laughs) (laughs) you're still eating yeah that is true so to to michael's to michael's left to my directly across the table hello my name is deke spears i'm currently stuffing my face with some excellent crab noodles so good here from uh It's excellent. It's a nice this night over a, here on the west side. It's great. Yeah, this is a, a good, uh, it's a much better way to do an interview when you're actually eating delicious food mm-hmm. than, yeah. you know, having some sterile right. kind of studio environment. Not oh. everybody knows this, but this is the format that I'm testing for everybody else. So this is going to be every episode. It's like, yeah. can you we're, meet at 7 o'clock at LaFat? Right yeah. Can, can, you, can you meet us over at LaFat? And um, yeah, we're going to have to get some drunken noodles. But this is great. Yeah. Um, Deke, so, it's nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you. Um, I, uh, I'm i the bass player in the band. Um, I uh, produce all the music and that kind of thing. So we're kind of a, a very homegrown band together. We all kind of have you know specialties that we bring to the table. Um, yeah. We sometimes kid we're more of like a marketing agency than a band. You know, we spend most of our time coming up with strategies to do interesting things as opposed to rehearsing like most bands so um but yeah 
That's a good strategy, though. Like, uh, it's a band masquerading as a marketing agency. You guys could, like, conquest on other people's business really well. <laughs> like, I think we just lost our business to a band. Um, <laughs> or a marketing agency. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of hiding as a band. Yeah. Because, like, are this marketing agency just cut a new record? Did I, Is that normal? Does <laughs> right. that happen? Is that an Atlanta thing? Um, well, hey, Deke, nice to have you on the show. Thank you. And to, to, we're just doing everybody's left. So, to Deke's left, who, who, who are you? Hey there. Uh, I'm Eric Toledo. Um, I sing for the band The Quiet Hounds. Um, play guitar and uh, bang on the keys, write words, and shape them into melodies. And um, Yeah, I work with these crazy guys. Uh, um, Deke's back from a, a bit of a hiatus, so I'm super happy to see him eating and um, that he is alive and well. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad that we mitigated all the concern. So we got that <laughs> well, out of the way. Well, just to just to clear the air, I smacked my head on this pipe and got a concussion. Oh no! And I didn't know I had a concussion. Oh, what's and that I, like when you don't know that you have a concussion? Well, you didn't. I didn't have symptoms for like almost a week, um, and then I started getting you know symptoms. Just put it at that. But oh, so man. it kind of put me down for a couple of weeks, like three weeks. Wow. Couldn't I'm glad, do much. I'm glad you're still with us. That's so, scary. Yeah. We had a show last weekend, so I um, missed I missed the first ever show of my own band. <laughs> yeah, we had a, a It was upsetting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, I mean, yeah, yeah. We were, luckily, we, were, we, we have we have a talented band, and one of the band members who plays pedal steel played bass for the show. Nice. And uh, and then we have a horn section, and one of the horn players sang the harmony parts that I sing and stuff. So you know, they kind of covered. And, made it work so oh, that's good well yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you're still with us man that's huge that's huge it's important that, that'd be I mean by no means am I wishing for this but that would be a pretty incredible story like yeah Deke didn't make it Deke, uh, I, don't, I don't like that story we would have yeah. made so much money yeah <laughs> Deke is uh, Deke, Deke is concussed and couldn't make it this evening so that's the name of the next record yeah concussed Deke is concussed <laughs> I, uh, that's not intellectual property or anything like that. That's that's for yeah anyone to use. But um, but I want to start out. I want to start out this episode of the show with you guys. Kind of how like I start out with every single one of my guests. So I guess again, just like going around the horn, or I mean, again, just like kind of yeah, jump in whenever sure. you want. But I want to know from each of you, um, like who, wh- where are you from first and foremost? Like where where'd you grow up, and who cooked for you growing up, and what kind of cook was he or she? Uh, I grew up in the city of Atlanta. Uh, my parents owned two restaurants, one in Virginia Highlands and one downtown, both Italian-derived. Um, my, my father's family is Italian. Um, I grew up eating from those chefs and at home, a very big cooking family, and grandmothers that cooked, and my mom's family is Lebanese, so I had an amazing mix of Italian food and Lebanese food, home-cooked all the time. Um, and I worked in those restaurants both in the back of the house and the front of the house. So I learned, I feel like I learned the importance of not only serving other people, but what it means to cook your own food, what it means to appreciate and understand what it means to eat dinner every night. Yeah, for sure. Which for us, I think a lot of people, especially in the circles we run in, take it for granted, but there are people that don't eat meals. Um, So I've always taken food very seriously, probably too seriously. I just adore it and I love act from cooking it to serving it to you know making other people happy with it yeah 
Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'm glad. I mean, I know that we already knew this about yeah. each other, but kindred spirits of yeah, growing sure. up in the restaurant industry. Yeah. 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 There's if you ever need recommendations for where to eat, Michael's Michael's the source. Nice. I like that. I like that. You, you got to have at least one. You know, yeah, someone's got to point everybody in the right direction. But, uh, but Deke, how about you? Where'd you grow up and who cooked for you growing up? So I grew up in the mountains of North Georgia. Um, the closest like landmark place that would be recognizable is Helen, Georgia. So I know Helen. Like the little, yeah, like the little German. There's, yeah, there's an amazing uh, Oktoberfest that happens yeah, in yeah. Helen. So yes. I, it, not, I, didn't, I didn't live in Helen, but close to Helen. Um, but growing up, I, the interesting thing about, I guess, food for me that I can remember is that um, my... Uh, dad and my aunt and my grandmother all kind of live on the same piece of property so they all have houses close to each other and we had a shared garden so um, you know the garden was like you know like a football filled garden a a big garden and we would till it um, you know and plant every season and stuff and so I grew up eating that you know a lot of vegetables out of a fresh garden which was really cool and something that I wish I had somehow retained in terms of skill because I've had not very much success making gardens as an adult. <laughs> yeah, drop it on in. Sorry. Here, coming <laughs> Do you in. want to be a part of a podcast <laughs> without even really knowing? That's all right. <laughs> well, it's okay. We'll, we'll teach you the ropes. It, it's, yeah, it's really easy to learn. Don't worry. That's really cool, though. I mean, but I mean, I was going to say, like, some, some of like the quote unquote gardens in the country are really borderline farms. Like, that's a lot right. of land, you yeah. know? And, uh, like my uh, my father-in-law, it's it's really more of a farm. It's really not a garden. I mean, right. it, it, by definition, is a garden. Right. But when you look at it, you're like, this is really complicated. Yeah, like I have a, an uncle in Athens who uh, has one of those farms or gardens. That's a farm. Yeah. You a farden? That sounds terrible. No, don't, say that. No, don't say that. A, gar- a, a garm? I don't know. We're not gonna play that game. But yeah, my my a lot of my family is is really into growing their own food and stuff like that, and. Um, which is really cool. I, I think that's probably something later in life that I'll be more into when yeah. I have more property, probably. Yeah. A little more space to do it. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, that's kind of how I, I grew up eating, just like, you know, garden vegetables. That's awesome. Yeah. That's my story. That's good. <laughs> so, Eric, how about you, man? Where'd you grow up? Where are you from? And who cooked for you growing up? All right. Well, I grew up um, uh, just north of here in a little town called Athens, Georgia. Um, both my parents were faculty. Uh, on UGA campus. Um, my father was a food technologist, so um, lots of experimentation in the kitchen growing up. Um, uh, I will say that both my parents are meat eaters, so we had a lot of meat um, on the table. Um, and, you know, we also had a farm. Uh, we you know, grew up on 12 acres of land, so my dad planted corn and, you know, uh, spinach and beans and stuff in the, in the back, so we always had fresh greens to pull from, but um, both my parents cooked, so uh, uh, because of that, it was like, you know, it became kind of this game that they played, where it's like, you know, who can kind of outcook each other, and, you know, um, what experiment will the kids eat, um, so, uh, yeah, so there was a lot on the table, at any given time, you'd have, like, three different meats on the table, and yeah. um, uh, at, at this point, my parents had perfected the art of the brisket, the 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 steak, the, the pan-fried salmon, all that good stuff. So I've had the um, pleasure of eating at the Toledo household many times. It's an amazing, amazing event. That's awesome. That yeah. sounds great. Yeah, so I, I was pretty spoiled. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not the connoisseur that Michael is, but um, 
uh, we have our favorites around town and um, pride ourselves on those favorites. So like, yeah. You know. I, I don't think there's ever anything wrong with being spoiled in food. Having a refined palate, yeah. uh, especially you know to to look at you know a large portion of the food industry today's yeah. like I yeah. think it's great to to understand like hey that has brown butter in it like good for you for knowing yeah. that you know yeah. good for you definitely <laughs> good for you but that's actually a perfect segue Eric because like yeah. I actually want to know so with you guys you know being here in Atlanta tell me a little bit you know just about you know some of the places that you guys really like to eat like where if you guys eat as a band or just individually like what are some places that you guys oh, just really man. like around town sort of regulars that we frequent as a band um uh, La Fonda is, is a favorite. It's super casual and um, it's always uh, good. Yeah, it's just they're yeah. super consistent um, uh, and you know, lots of sort of nice um, ambient light, you know, um, for us to have our sort of collaborative conversations. Yeah. <laughs> our, La Fonda uh, is like steadfast. It is. Yeah. We, yeah. We, my yeah. wife and I take our kids there. It is yeah. like, and there's something really strange about La Fonda. Like yeah. you order and somehow they already knew what you were going to order <laughs> and it is at your table yeah, and in like, hot. Yeah. and hot. So it and wasn't like, like it was yeah. sitting there. No, in like negative 15 yeah, seconds. Yeah. They're like, that guy's going to order well, fish tacos. Everything on the menu is some combination of the exact same ingredients. So, you know. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's part of the magic. Though. Yeah, exactly. They're like it makes it sound different. Like this is uh, yeah. this is um, the same thing yeah. with a different name, <laughs> plated yeah. the same, yeah. Yeah. but you think yeah. it's something different. Yeah, you plated this a little bit differently. It was some, yeah, yeah, and you charged me three extra dollars for it. Yeah, so. like anyway, who's winning here? We <laughs> we love it. Um, yeah, Lafonda's is just a, a staple. I mean, my family and I love just um, going down the street to Osteria. It's just um, it's classic Italian, and they they. They do it right. Um, uh, it's pretty consistent too. Uh, my wife and I love to go to Serpa's. That's um, in the old oh, fourth man. ward. Great spot. So good. Um, uh, so, and then you know, uh, I don't know if you guys have you guys had Bocalupa? Yes. Yeah. Oh, Bocalupa was amazing. Yeah. That that's a place that needs more recognition. Yeah. It's a place that you go and yeah. then everybody you know talks about. Yeah. You know, like man, I went to this restaurant called Bocalupa. Yeah. I think everybody has that reaction. Like, have you heard of Bocalupa? Yeah. It's yeah. a great spot. Man. Right. Right. Yeah. Big time. It's just by virtue of the fact that there's like practically no place to sit makes it like <laughs> desirable. <laughs> that is true. That yeah. that is kind of the antithesis of like the Atlanta restaurant. Yeah. It's like we can't do 140 people, right, right. but we can do like 19. Yeah. Like really well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, that's that's yeah. a that's a so those that's are my favorites. Yeah, right on. Yeah. How about you, Deke? Um well, we're actually right down the street from our rehearsal space. Uh, we our rehearsal space is in the goat farms like a Art, artists live yeah. work space yeah go for it um, awesome. so we have our rehearsal studios there and right next door walking distance is Taqueria del Sol I think Michael yeah. and I have <laughs> eaten there <laughs> way too many times yeah you know it's, it's, it's a it's a convenient you know it's, <laughs> yeah. it's the place but um, it's classic I mean, well, the simple is. menu the next yeah. episode that we'll do will be you guys and Eddie Hernandez it'll be perfect <laughs> yeah Talk yeah. about those brisket tacos or something like that. It'll be perfect. Oh, I love the brisket tacos. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't get away from Taqueria del Sol. Like, yeah. I know I ordered the brisket tacos the last seven times, but I'm gonna yeah. do it again. But yeah. you know, I don't feel bad about it. Yeah. Um, where is it, Michael? Where's the uh, place that we ate the sushi place that we ate the night of the Warner Brothers deal? Over by it was over by Kevin Gillespie's old spot on Cheshire Bridge. Oh, Nakato. 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 Oh, yes. Incredible. So I really love sushi. Like yeah. sushi is probably my favorite thing to eat. I mean, 
gotcha. at any yeah. time. If you're just like, we're eating sushi for the next month, I'd probably be good with that. I'm going to I'm gonna throw another curveball at you, though. Have you ever done happy hour at Nakado? <laughs> no. I don't drink, so. Well, it's, but it's, it's, it's okay. Know. It's not just about it's alcohol. It's about the food. Yeah, okay. it's, it's definitely not like sake bombs, which I'm pretty sure they have, but I mean, I don't drink. So, like, yeah. but the menu, it's, it's like a happy hour food menu. It's, uh, it's, it's like a go four o'clock and like I ate fart. I mean, I That's made awesome. a bad decision by eating that much food, but it was totally worth it. Yeah. Like happy hour in Nakato yeah. is the next step. Nakato is a staple I grew up going to as a little kid. My parents lived in Manhattan before they moved here. And so sushi was, well, sushi's everywhere in Manhattan. Um, and we were eating food like that as young, my brother and I as young lads. So they found Nakato when we were really little. Yeah. Like, oh, let's just go here and just hit the sushi bar. With our kids and I've never forgotten that. So whenever people, you know, there's some great sushi in Atlanta. Oh other yeah. Spots. Oh yeah, no doubt. Uh, but no if doubt. people want to just go like for a comfortable, really delicious meal of sushi, meat, we take them to. <laughs> sushi I like to meat? take people to <laughs> sushi yeah. meat. I like to take them to Nakado at least once. I mean, it's just an amazing like old school place. It just again consistency. They're always sweet in there. Yeah. It's generally packed. Yeah. What, what's so, what was so cool about it is just getting the chef to do whatever they want. It, oh, yeah. It's not like order something. It's yeah. just like just bring out a bunch of stuff. Yeah. And we you, did omakase for sure, and they oh, yeah. were just so happy to tell us about everything yeah. we're eating. <laughs> Didn't we have this? Is that the night we had the little baby squids that were yeah. a little tiny? Yeah, that was the best dish. I'd never had that. I literally said, we're open. Hit us with whatever you got. Oh, man. And he gave us this little beautiful Japanese bowls. We each had one. With the tiny, it almost looked like cartoon anime squids. The cutest little full baby squid in its entirety. He with this delicious scallion sauce. And he's like, <laughs> eat the whole thing with your chopstick. Just take a bite. It's unbelievable. Wait, wait. <laughs> so, so Nakato is the sushi served on the other side of the. Yeah, the hibachi okay. bar, yes. Okay, hibachi The sushi right. bars, they've both been there the whole time. Yeah. Sushi yeah. bar is one of those. Talk about underrated. People just, yeah. especially with all the sushi we have now, people forget yeah. that that place was one of the very first. Yeah, I, I, I had no idea. I was yeah. like I'm trying to envision you eating sushi like with this, you know. There's a whole left side of really beautiful sushi bar and tables. Bar. Yeah. yeah. Nakato's definitely got like OG. Like it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you can see what's around it too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, 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 um, it's a fairly seedy area, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's what, like the, the Newark pizza joint right there on yeah, the corner. Geno's. Geno's. Yeah. And then... Johnny's uh, down the street. Yeah, and yeah. then, oddly enough, that's where Woodfire Grill was. Woodfire was right yeah, next Woodfire, door, yeah. yeah. Woodfire was literally right next door. I mean, I think they actually shared kind of like where you would pull in for yeah. the valet. And, like, you could either go to Nakato or Woodfire. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, yeah, Nakato's like one of those places where you take people and they're like, that was actually... Like that was incredible. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nakano's actually like they're they're they, they know their it shit, so man. Good. Like it's it's good. But no, I'm glad that she said that. I'm glad that she said Nakato. That's that's uh that's important. But um, but anyway, I uh you know I want I want to shift gears here a little bit because I um you know obviously you know the the Atlanta Foodcast is is a podcast about Atlanta chefs and people who are of the restaurateur entrepreneurial spirit. And you guys totally fit into that space, but I love that it takes a little bit of digging <laughs> to get to where that is. But before we get into uh, before we get into that side of like who you guys are, I want to get to know you guys as a band. I want to get to know like um, you know just like you know how, how you guys like actually came to be. So give me like the you know whatever I guess like the nickel tour of the of the Quiet Hound story. Like how did you guys actually come to be a band making music together? 
I, I, tell, I get to tell this story a lot, and I feel like I feel like it was yesterday. So it seems very um, still current in my brain. But oh, Eric and I were in a band in Atlanta, in Athens, in Atlanta before Quiet Hounds, and we were doing the very mainstream version of what you were told to do by the music industry. So we were touring the country and playing all the festivals and playing South by Southwest. And one of our last trips to South by, our bass player couldn't make it and Deke filled in. And we <laughs> took a car for some reason because we had backlined our whole trip. So we didn't have to play. Our last thing was South by. We didn't have to take our van or our gear. So we were in a someone's sedan driving 15 hours. And... Um, had this very long conversation about doing some new stuff. And Deke chimed in saying, and we knew he was a recording engineer and producer, and he said, I'd love to record you guys. It'd be really fun. I've been a fan of the band. He's been playing with us. We're like, well, yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah, we could do that. And we started just brainstorming about what to record and taking it, no rules, no limits, uh, putting it out however we wanted, whatever. And we got home, and I remember we, that week, went in and started recording with Deke. And we made, Eric had a, didn't you already have the URL made? You had like a placeholder with the, the girl in the hood, the Little Red Riding Hood. Yeah, it was, that was just like some stuff I threw together. Yeah. But like the idea of Quiet Hounds was a, actually a, a, a song title that we, you know, yeah. but we, you know, it, was, it wasn't something that we thought was going to stick around. It was just like, what do we call this thing? Yeah, like we know? didn't want to call it our band. So let's just call it something. Yeah. Put it out for free. Give it to some friends. And we tracked one or two songs then we tracked an EP mm-hmm. and first of all it was the, our favorite thing we'd ever made yeah. musically so yeah. like, it was a classic romance story yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was passionate at first yeah, yeah. we recorded on Marietta Street on the west side in a what is a storage garage unit mm-hmm. rental space mm-hmm. with a bay door mm-hmm. no AC no heat uh, Deke recorded all of it to um, a very small rig that we had in there um it sounded great and weird. It was sporadic. Eric was writing lyrics in the parking lot at night while we were inside finishing up tracks. Mm-hmm. We did it all in two weeks. We gave it to friends. We gave it to industry people we knew. We just to see what sent the bloggers. Yeah, yeah, and it just stuck. People just... I mean, in my perception of it, being in the band we were in for so long, touring and working so hard with no real reward having in two weeks time people lose their mind over an EP yeah felt really nice it was like oh my god yeah it's the same guys you know it's us crafting the same basic music and we just we just ran with it yeah man what year was this 2011 2011 we decided not to do anything like we'd ever done in a band so all standard rules are off the table we're not gonna play clubs we're not gonna play at three in the morning we're not going to we're not going to do anything we don't want to do, and that also seemed to work strangely. We we played our first show at the Goat Farm. Deke was living there at the time, and asked Anthony and Chris if we could take over like one of the spaces. This is early in the Goat Farm. They hadn't opened a lot of doors yet. Yeah. They found a big, huge in the B building, a big, huge room filled with storage. Cleaned it out for us. Built Deke built a stage, built a PA. We invited friends and family we had a five dollar ticket <laughs> 500 people showed up what? we had no we had no press no one knew who we were we had no clue what was going on wow it was wild and we played that show and i remember just being like oh 
Guess we better keep doing this. <laughs> <laughs> this works. Uh, and that was it. We didn't stop from there. We, we had obligations from the current band we were in. We played them out that summer. We still were touring for that. And we had some publishing obligations and some records we had to make with that band. We did very quietly and just finished out. But we focused everything on the Quiet Hounds. But from the get-go... And I'm only saying this to segue into later in the conversation. From the get-go, it was this is going to be whatever we want it to be at any time. And if that means that we play on rooftops only one year, then we're going to only play on rooftops. Yeah. If that means that we're going to put out records where there will be no guitars, we're going to do that. We don't care. And so as it evolved, the dinner series is part of that. It's like... Well, what else can we do? Oh, yeah. that sounds like fun. Let's do that. Yeah. And we don't have any constraints on what we do. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, just to, to build on that, that, you know, uh, sort of relationship between the music and the food, you know, we were, we were doing the South by Southwest thing. Right. And, you know, after so many years of doing that, we were like, okay, we're, we're spending a lot of energy driving, hauling gear all the way out to South by Southwest to play for a bunch of our peers versus a bunch of our fans. Right. So, um, uh, and so we decided to invest in uh, interactive because it was like, okay, well, they've got money. <laughs> um, so and they're uh, not signing anybody. Yeah, they don't give a they shit about care. signing folks. So, and we we actually went and played for fans. We played for people that wanted to listen to music, you know. And through that, we got to know the guys at the Cooking Channel. Right. Yeah, we played a huge showcase for the Cooking Channel. Yeah. Whoa. A huge showcase for CNN. Yeah. It had nothing to do with the music business. Yeah. So after that, we came back and they're like, oh, we want to do something else. So we did another engagement with them at um, uh, what is it? Abattoir. Uh, Abattoir. Right. Um, on the west side. Now. Marcel. Yeah, right. yeah, and so that was kind of like the beginnings of our sort of uh, uh, our relationship with the food industry, and then you know uh, it took off from there. Yeah. yeah, we realized in that South by that this is another year forward. The next year at South by Interactive, we showed up, same scene as it always is, no time to set up, very small, weird location. This was a restaurant, a very cool restaurant, and we went out to the back porch. It was pouring down rain. They had this kind of cover we set up we brought our our cool quiet hounds kind of rig which is our little fun stage thing and we parade a lot in the top of our shows we have these leather masks we wear that was another thing we were going to do we we paraded it we went back to the restaurant up to the top coffee bar and started singing and playing and parading through because all these people were scattered and they all got up and followed us outside and had this amazing show and at the end we realized there's like 300 people here, and all they care about is being entertained. Yeah. They're not here to be cool. Yeah, they're not waiting for us to get off the stage yeah. so that they, they can play. And cheering <laughs> and like dancing. It was just so much fun. And like Eric said, yeah. after that, at that, that was a Cooking Channel gig. We met the Cooking Channel people. We met all these other people in the food industry. They start talking to us about their event and what they're doing next. And if, could we ever do this? And it just, was, just made sense. Like, these are people that want to entertain folks. And have a really great time. It's not about who's cool and who's not and what's snobby and what's not. They just don't care about that. The record industry, in our opinion, in our experience, has been very... it's it's misfocused in a million ways. It's very black and white. Uh, The record industry is very... Bottom line, money, and... Yeah, I think what's... The success, air quotes for the podcast listeners, um, of, of Quiet Hounds is really just how we think together. You know, it's... We're all very different people with different backgrounds, and I think 
when we when we started the band it's this creative thinking idea this this way of building the world that you want as opposed to doing what the world that's in front of you tells you to do you know and i think that you know with this idea of the south i think i'm just having this revelation for the first time about that cooking channel show where we paraded through all the people eating dinner and 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 we kind of did the dinner bell kind of without really knowing without even knowing what we were doing um and we did that you know almost six years ago but uh I think those types of ideas and those sparks of inspiration are the things that we let kind of be our compass. You know, those those mo- moments where you really see people enjoying their experience, and and that's I think what it's all about for us is giving people an experience worth having. You know, it's it's not just about the music or just about you know watching a band perform. It's about how you feel when you're doing whatever it is you're doing, and we always want to create things that that give people that experience. And what better way to do that than with food? You know, just again, I, I said it at the beginning of the podcast, but eating this meal while doing this makes the tone and the vibe of what we're doing now totally so much more happy and just yeah. easy going. And, and, and you're having digestible, a, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I think that that at the the root of everything that Quiet Hounds does, you'll find that as kind of the seed of what we do is is finding ways to create moments and experiences with people. Yeah, it's it's amazing too because I think there's a lot to be said about what happens around a dinner table. And uh, when I was hosting events for a, for a living, there's there's a lot to be said about someone who does not know another individual. They up until that point did not know that another soul existed on this planet that they were going to be sharing a meal with. Those people share a bond that is now unforgettable, unbreakable. I mean, you can talk about all the ethereals, but it's real. Like what what you experience when you break bread with someone is it, it, there's something very cerebral, but also just very guttural of like how you're connecting with another human. It's um it's almost like each person becomes disarming to one another. It's very interesting because you can be someone like you're my mortal enemy, but like hey, we both love bun me. So there's something that we have there. You know, like that can be a crucial piece of how you make a connection with someone. And, uh, but also how you communicate. You know, like, I, I think it's amazing that food can really be the love language between like, one person and a group of people or two people that are you know, met, met to meet. Or, you know, that, uh, the, but the, the, the conjoining factor of like, how these people come to, to really connect with one another is, is food. Like, that, that, that's, I mean, again, we're getting like, real deep here. Yeah. We don't really do this. <laughs> I don't do this very much on the Atlanta Foodcast. But, do it. Um, yeah. Go there. <laughs> But um, but food is is huge. You know, it's um, it's uh, it's not it's not just about replacing calories. It's I, I was thinking about that on my way over here, thinking about listening to some of the other podcasts, other episodes you've done, and being the first kind of guests that aren't in the world that you usually focus on. Yeah, but I was thinking about how we all are because food is the last food eating together communally is the last purely innocent thing we can do as adults and not be weird about. Exactly. It, it just is. You can, we had our first couple of dinner bells, we put out huge farm tables and there was no assigned seating. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. You put two people in a car together doing each other and they want to kill each other. You put them in a line, they want to kill each other. You put them in a table and you say, here, you're going to eat dinner together. Just introduce yourselves and figure it out. They figure it out. Yeah. And by the end, most of the time, they're all like getting each other's phone numbers and talking about, like you said, connections they would have never had and it is the coolest thing to me that food can still join us 
as our jaded selves get older. Yeah, especially, you know, in, in kind of like the, the modern climate of technology and the internet and, and how people communicate not in person. You know, people communicate so much not in person anymore. And I think this idea of people being at a table together, bringing them back to being together, right? And, and actually having the opportunity to experience you know, this food is kind of like a universal language for people, and they get to experience the thing together. And I, I think that's, for me, the Dinner Bell series, which I guess we're going to get to. <laughs> yeah, well, and I was going to say, so I guess that, that that's a perfect place to kind of, like, move into to Dinner Bell. Because, but one thing I want to... I want to touch on is, um, you know, again, like we're, we're kind of like shaking this down to like, now we're talking about like Atlanta lore and, uh, but dinner bell as a concept actually has roots with Sears and Roebuck back in the twenties at the actual tower in Pont city market. And, and I'm, I'm really stoked cause I actually had the opportunity to go to the event that you guys did right before they were opening that, that like, I mean, just like all of like the different levels of, of, this venue on the roof of Ponce. It's, it's, it's incredible. I mean, I was just like, this is just too cool. Like I'm so amazed that all of this kind of like meshed together and now you can go have like a cocktail in the tower of the old Sears Roebuck building and overlooking Midtown and, you know, but, um, but talk to me a little bit about the, the actual, I guess the, the inspiration, you know, like what, what's the actual history that inspired Dinner Bell? So Dinner Bell RFD is, is the title of a radio show that happened in the 20s, uh, RFD being the radio, uh, radio Farmer's Democracy. So it was this idea that it was kind of a way to bring entertainment to farmers that were basically getting off work in the evening, bringing them music. Um, and the thing that we kind of always joke about, but it's kind of true, is that a lot of the country music scene in the South started with Dinner Bell. You know, it's very credited to the Nashville scene. That's the country music idea. But this radio show was on the cutting edge of country music in the South and, and it being kind of popularized. Um, and so they had this radio show and within the show they would do things where they, you know, people would write in letters and ask about, you know, things, the techniques on the farm and all these, you know, different things, which, We've taken and in, 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 in various shows turned or into this kind of... Or how do you make of, cornbread skillet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Skillet, cornbread, or, you know, they have guys talk about chefs. I mean, yeah. men and women talk about food and cooking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can see the irony in this and, like, how relevant that would be for 2018. Yeah. Like, that that show would crush it. Would been, it. it would have <laughs> Oh, yeah. my God. Like, it, it, would, right. it, it would destroy everything yeah. else out so there. Much, so much knowledge is being tossed over here. It's we all know today. Yeah. So I think with the, with the history aspect, uh, something we didn't touch on just as like a foundation of the band is uh, kind of like history has been part of our makeup. You know, we, we try to find historic buildings to play in. We, we try to tell stories about things that happened. We wrote a story about Castleberry Hill and the politics that were happening in the late 1800s. Um, we've, you know, we did a, we wrote a song about uh, the soldiers that died in Andersonville prison in South Georgia. So we, we write a lot of shows um, and do a lot of um, events that surround historical things. And so with Dinner Bell, finding this, kind of stumbling upon this idea that there was a radio show that happened in the 20s um, was really exciting to us. And I think our interpretation of that show is more about the community aspect, bringing music and food together in a meaningful way and just as we were just talking about bringing people together to have an experience together that's, you know, a long-lasting memory. 
Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, I, I think the... It was really cool being at that event at RFD Social and, um, you know, hearing hearing a little bit about the history. And, Michael, I think you got up on the mic at this point. You were kind of talking about what Deke just mentioned. And, you know, like it was this show and so much of it was like entertainment, but like birthplace of a lot of influence and in country music. And um, but then just, you know, feeling feeling I don't know. I mean, again, like I'm getting like more more deep than maybe I was ready for. But but just like standing in that space of like thinking of just like the people that probably were standing right where I was. Famous musicians. Yeah. yeah. And just like thinking of who that could have been. And, and people just I don't even know. I have no idea. Like back in the 20s. You know, but um, but it was just a really cool moment. I mean, again, like we, me and my family, we live on the Beltline, so like we, yeah. you know, pop our heads out the front door and we see Pont City Market. Like there is yeah. so much history of just like that, you know, two blocks of yeah. the east side of Atlanta that that you know, you, after a while, you take for granted. Like you yeah. definitely like, yeah. I mean, it's just more of a yeah. you know, yeah, convenience I mean, factor. I, I, you know, just thinking back to so the origin of the concept, like you know, our we have this strange history with just that structure that building you know um uh, before it was even a thing we played uh was it like a streets alive or um, oh yeah when they right, right when they bought the building yeah so it was, it was during streets alive yeah. or one of those but they did it as a secret pop, pop yeah so yeah. so we worked with james uh with jonestown to um uh to to do this this basically Beltline show. Um, this is like the Beltline wasn't even yeah. cleaned yet. Yeah, it was like a dirt path basically, right? Um, and so that was kind of like our, our first sort of uh, uh, interaction with the building. And then a few years later, they had gutted the thing, and we did a takeaway show um, uh, after they had you know pretty much cleaned it out, but you know uh, it hadn't been built out yet. So um, and that's when I think the wheels started turning in terms mm-hmm. of the history of the building. And, and um, given what we were doing at the time, we were like, oh, this could be a, an opportunity to do, to celebrate Sears and Roebuck and um, RFD, uh, you know, dinner bell. Um, and so it was just a conversation for, I want to say, a few it, years. It went on for a yeah. while. Uh-huh. I mean, as you know, you just said it, sticking your head out your apartment door, you see this structure. Yeah. The whole city knows what it is now. But what's funny about Atlanta, what I think you are touching on in a positive way with your your podcast and one of the many positive things is that you're telling stories that sometimes aren't being heard yeah and what drives me crazy is when i this town has had a rough go okay it got burnt to the ground we had to start over (laughs) it has zero historical value in a lot of its architecture yeah and when we have the last couple bastions of architecture that are there even if it's post-civil war that have history, we don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, they buy the building, they clean it. It's the largest brick building this side of some line, blah, 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 blah. Sears and Roebuck used to sell microwaves out of it. Great. That's not the end of the story. Yeah. There's so much more we've even uncovered about Sears and Roebuck, the men, in that building that we we actually wrote a show about it. We haven't performed that show yet, but we'd like to at some point. Yeah. Um, and the RFD and... Like you were saying, standing in that little tower with a radio show that was influencing Nashville, Chicago, Memphis, from all the research we've done, taking those towns into the music towns they are now because of a radio show in Atlanta. Yeah. And I love finding that stuff and turning it over and going, well, let's just tell it. Yeah. Let's tell it. Our interpretation is completely different when you come to the dinner, but we still tell the story at the top of the dinner so people understand what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And I and think even before we started Dinner Bell, which 
just let's just like kind of clarify what dinner bell is, like the Quiet Helms dinner bell. Here, experience. let me let me lob this one up for you, Deke. Right. Hey, Deke, what's what's dinner bell? <laughs> so, dinner bell is a Quiet Helms experience that um, it's bringing the community together. Um, so far, they've all been in Atlanta. Um, there's a possibility that we'll take these outside of the state and, and go to different cities. Um, but so the concept basically is just this. We bring a guest musician, and if you will, Quiet Hounds is the house band. Oh, nice. We, we find a restaurant, a restaurateur or a chef with a restaurant, and they are the house, and we bring a guest chef in. And so there's a collaboration of artists. You have ideas from the guest musician, ideas from the guest chef. They're collaborating with the other chefs, with the other musicians. And we're trying to create an evening of just a unique memory, something that you just will never, you'll never get again. And I think even before we started Dinner Bell with our shows, we were bringing food to the shows. We were uh, every trying, show we had, yep. We would, we would get our friends that were chefs to come do, you know, Adam Evans came and did the, you know, like smoking those big like smoke trucks yeah. at Swans. We've always been trying to do this kind of idea because there's something about food, and and, and like we've been talking about people being together and, and and having food together. It changes the atmosphere. You know, it if you're at a rock concert, the atmosphere is. You, you can think about what a rock concert atmosphere is, and we've always been trying to get away from that because we want to connect with the people that we're playing music for. Um, and, and Dinner Bell has been that experience where you get this really unique excitement of, of what the chef's going to do and kind of what the, sometimes we'll do themes or concepts. Um, you know, they could be whimsical, they could be, you know, deep. You know, it, it, it depends on what, who the chef is or whose idea. And that's the other interesting thing is it's not just, it's not our ideas. We go and, and everybody kind of talks about what do we want to do? You know, what food's in season right now? What, you know, what are you excited to cook? What kind of music, you know, fits with this vibe, this atmosphere? And so it's this very off-the-cuff experience in a way where we're not controlling everything. We're just allowing kind of the beauty of food and music to speak for itself and then just giving people an evening that I think they probably will never forget. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally think they have not forgotten Everyone has been the one. <laughs> yeah, but that—that's actually—that's that, actually a question I have for you guys. So, I mean, again, knowing enough research that I can do myself, you know, seeing past dinner bells that you guys have hosted and that have been at restaurants around town with partnering Atlanta chefs, like walk walk me through a few of those that you guys have. That, and, and again, like when when did you guys actually start doing dinner bell? Like when was the first introduction as like official? Like this is dinner bell. This is like a series. Seventeen summer of 2017. So just last summer? No, it was, it was 16. 16, so, so two years Summer yeah. of 2016, we did two um, in that summer with the, our friends at Vinkman's. Um, they had a beautiful new kitchen and a great stage mm-hmm. and sound. And we, we our two groups of musician, band, folk have been in cahoots for years. We brought in uh, Daniel Chance for the first one. He is the actually just opened up the Watchman over in Krog. Yes, um, he's cooked with Annie for years. Quatrano, uh, he's an amazing chef, and we brought in our friend Ben Holtz as a guest musician, and it was very. It, it didn't come off this way, but it was very trial and error for us. Like, how's this going to play? I think the ticket price was like seventy five dollars. 
That's they made, it? They, oh well, gosh. we were trying to figure it out. Yeah. They made a plattered, uh, he fried whole chickens, which I've never seen before in my life. Oh, that wow. came out on platters that he had butchered them right after the fryer and people Get got out. to pull. All family style. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, his food was unbelievable. Ben played some amazing songs and myriad of instruments. We all played together. People had a great time. We made them eat communally. And they, everyone went home and we thought, okay, that worked. So we did one more there with Adam Evans, who's now moved to Birmingham, but amazing chef, and the Secret Sisters. And again, kind of got everyone in the room quickly. Adam did a five or six course seafood dinner, which is amazing. He was cooking at the Optimist. Um, Secret Sisters played before us, then they collaborated with us. We did a Bob Dylan cover with them. We just had an amazing, they sang some songs with us. Um, and we quickly realized, like, this is insane. People are leaving this thing, losing their mind. Yeah. No one was making any money. We had to at least cover some bills. So we thought, okay, let's take a breather here. And the next one we did, I think, was at Watershed, Watershed. with yeah. Zeb Stevenson that, and the Indigo yeah. Girls. And that's where I think we really collaborated. That's where it really started, the collaboration. We met with Zeb a bunch of times. Zeb had this incredible idea of first memories of eating something. So his courses, each course was, this is the first time I ate this when I was seven, and now I've recreated that dish for you oh, here. I want to eat like that every day. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. What was the what was the dessert? It was like he a made a pop- he made a, uh, a, a strawberry mousse for friends one night. Tried really hard, and was really excited about this really challenging dish over like a small dinner party, and then hang out in his house, and it fell apart. He ruined it, so he ended up making a bunch of popcorn and handing it out to him. So his dish was this amazing popcorn crusted souffle. Uh-huh. strawberry meringue custard that he has now made look like art right and but he told the story about his failures in it the indigo girls were so amazing they they sang they had their own set they sang with us we collaborated that morning in a studio and talked and played and discussed what we should do they jumped in on songs we jumped in on songs and I felt like, okay, this is it. This is what this needs to be. And I just, I gotta, I gotta say here. So you know, enough of spending all of my life in and out of restaurants, and now for most of my adult life, working in marketing of all different kinds for you know close to ten years now, and a lot of that being in the restaurant world as well. You guys are introducing some incredible operational hurdles. <laughs> Yes. to a restaurant <laughs> Very because ones. because I'm thinking through this I'm thinking like okay uh, private event always difficult yeah. ticketed and like the sale of that so getting everyone to commit and you're trying to work against your rate of attrition that's hurdle number one and then you've got the food side that's number two and then you guys are introducing music but it's not just like there's music it's you guys collaborating with like oh just the indigo girls like that's another thing and how does the whole thing fit together seamlessly and then you have customer service but it's also the deliver of entertainment like that's like las vegas style shit like that's there's like a level of anxiety around every single turn it's like okay we got over this oh shit what's next you know um yeah we're uh, worried because we want people to have that experience you're talking about and to tie into that idea one of the things that we we've learned is these events live and die on the restaurant staff. They really do. Like the yeah. staff at Bacchanalia is impeccable. You know, the staff at Watershed was yeah, mind blowing. The way that they make things work. They yeah. make on their end they understand their ship and they yeah. know how to make it work. And we know ours, mm-hmm. which is the production side and the music side and all that. 
And uh, there's always hurdles, obviously. Uh, there's constraints with the staging of, of everything, but we're good at that stuff. And, and we found that working with these really top level restaurants with incredible staff is how they succeed, is how we're able to make them yeah. an event that's smooth, yeah. that people come to and they don't feel stuffy or like yeah. it's, it's been forced together. It feels natural. Yeah, I mean, yeah we put a, aller- a food allergen in every, when the tickets go out, a food allergen form. I've submitted that form to each chef that we've done a dinner with. Mm-hmm. It has never been discussed again. And at the table, the 50th person down a long farm table has exactly what we just said. It's just, it's, it's like you said, it's, we let them do that world and we do our world. That's and incredible. It, just, it works. Yeah. And, and I'm sure we're going to run into yeah. to more hurdles. But yeah. when you work with Annie Quatrano and her yeah. team, we go to lineup before dinner bell. Yeah. We always go to lineup. Yeah. And the bartenders, the bar manager, the chef, the staff, and us are all in it together to talk about what's going to happen tonight. Yeah. And it always, it's great, you know. It's, yeah, we really lean on the on the staff to, to just do what they do really well. Like we were, we just did a show with um, uh, David Lowry and um, at Drew Belline's, uh, um restaurant. Two four six. Two four six. Yeah, and oh, they put guy. on the spread for us for the show. It was just incredible, you know. I think I saw some video of that one. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another element. We film multi-camera, film these things, yeah. and put them together too. So it, that's something that we're. It was an original concept for us, you know, taking off the, the original Dinner Bell was a radio show. Well, we wanted this to be a broad, like a broadcast style show. Um, but getting it off the ground, it's let's film them all, let's capture everything and get to that point. So we're still kind of in the works of getting that, that dimension of it flushed out. Um, but we have luckily captured, let's say 90% of what we've done for Dinner Bell, which has, has been cool. It's, it's a way to learn too as you go and, and kind of see what's working. Um, we're just constantly making adjustments to the formula so that it, that it does work to get all those little things ironed out. The other, let me just say, back to your question, the other fun thing that, and, and remarkable thing is that no matter how amazing the restaurant is, the chef, the, the team, the staff, and no, no matter how groundbreaking or uh, influential they are in a day-to-day operation in Atlanta's food scene, every restaurant gets to a very, and every everything in life gets to a stagnant point, right? Monday through Sunday, Monday through Friday, however they're open, working, 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 same thing, same, maybe same menu for a week, a month, six months, um, maybe a kind of a mundane shift patterns. What Dinner Bell also does and why Drew did what he did and why a lot of these chefs get so into it is it gives them this really cool three-hour vacation from that sure. where they get to create whatever they want. And we always tell them, just like we did with Quiet Hounds, no rules. Yep. I don't, no rules. However, you want this to go down food wise. And it literally looks like I've just handed them seven Christmas mornings because they're like, Yeah. What? Like, I, no, and that's, oh, that's I really fun to see. Years, it's fun know? to see when you give an artist free reign to do what they want. And mm-hmm. I, I've talked to some chefs that say, you know, food's science, not art. You know, there's a. There's different, you know, um, perspectives on food, but to me, I still view chefs as artists. You know, and, yeah, hundred percent. Just that's what, how I relate is to art. So, um, but it's really interesting to see what people do when there's just there's no boundary to what we can do. We can make it whatever we want. And it it's not this isn't the case because I know no one's talking, but it feels like each chef tries to one up the last dinner bell like every time we do they one. Don't, yeah, they don't talk. They don't even know what the other yeah, it's so funny. But they they always just seem to get more grandiose as we go. Um, 
and it's just amazing to watch. And mm-hmm. the thing that I loved about uh, the 246 show is that they fed us like kings yeah, before the show. I mean, we're very busy, you know, leading yeah, up yeah. to. It's a tight window to get everything to happen. Oh, for sure. But we we had a really killer meal that was, we all sat down together, all, you know, everybody ate together, and that was a pretty yeah. awesome experience. I have never had a meal from 246 that I have thought was like, you know, that was good. It's always been like, Oh man, that just like so, something <laughs> something was like answered that it was a problem or just like an emotional issue that <laughs> was that was solved by the food at two four six. It and was then, an amazing. Yeah, and then it was also just like yeah, I know that you just had an incredible meal. That's great. Like you can continue to like to come off of that high. That's great. Yeah. There's also table tennis. Yes. And um, so we have that. And then I'm just like, I can I can I can I get a job application yeah, while yeah. I'm here? Like. Um, that place is just like, yeah. there's magical. There, so there, there, so there's they were magical. cooking outside on the grills. They did a bunch of food out on the grills, and we performed acoustic outside and oh, brought man. it in. And That's then, awesome. And it was, then you had your yeah. seat at dinner. Yeah, yeah. We, we like to make it a three-hour, yeah. at least yeah. three-hour event. Yeah. Annie always one-ups herself and everyone else with her desserts. Yeah. At the end of a Bacchanelli dinner bell, she has a huge – she moves to another side of the restaurant and does a some sort of dessert bar. She's done wow. a pie bar that I had never seen. It was the most mind blowing thing I've ever seen in my life. And that's incredible. It's fun. It's like in their own head to be like, I want to, I want to entertain. Yeah. I want my guests who come here anyway to experience something new tonight. You know. Yeah. And sure. that's really what we're looking for because this isn't a quiet hounds fan base per se, and it's not only let's take Bacchanalia for example. It's not only that, and it's not a Bacchanalia fan base. It's kind of a mix of both. We've got fans of the band who are like, I want to check this out. We've got fans of the restaurant saying, oh, it's in a private event with Annie. i got to go. Oh, totally. Um, and so you're getting this mix of people like, where am I and what is happening? Yep. Why is there a full band but, in my fork? Yeah, Literally. but also thinking about just what you guys are doing for the space, not just for dining, but think about, I mean, I, I've been to plenty of, of beer dinners, of wine dinners in my life, and the 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 programming so to speak is it, it's pretty like pedestrian level of like there's a beer and it's paired really well because like we really like this beer because it goes well with mole you know or like this wine this vintage works really well with this because of the acidic notes and the tannin like that's you know like that's kind of like the greens fee of like i know what i'm getting with like going to one of these dinners but very rarely do you get to do you get to understand that like this is far more just about like you're coming to enjoy a meal. It's how everything. It, it's a multi-sensory experience, yes. you know. Of like the the food is matching every bite that you're taking. Everything is carefully crafted. It's all done in harmony. Like that is like. I mean, again, like maybe we're just unlocking exactly what you guys are doing as far as like its own vertical in this space. But like that is some form of magic that the people who have experienced Dinner Bell, like they're they're the people that can't shut up about it. And then there's me who feels like an idiot. <laughs> a never a never been. B just found out about it a few months ago. But especially if you're working with someone like Annie Quattrano, Zeb Stevenson, and then you're like you know collaborating with the Indigo Girls, like that's an evening that you know, I mean. I don't know. I mean, depending on who you're talking about, like, you know, $300 ticket, like, wouldn't even question it. Like, done. Like, no question. That's going so, to be a memory. So, you know, memory. and that's, that's the side, too, that we're still, you know, we're still, it's still a slow build. We're still trying to work on exactly, I mean, the idea would be to have Dinner Bell, the name Dinner Bell be its own thing, and it, it be a draw, right? We don't want Quiet Hounds to have to be the draw or right. the, the restaurant or the chef. We want it to be that Dinner Bell's like, this is an event that only happens so often. 
we've got to go, right? So we're still working towards that, and I think that we're getting there. You know, we've, we've kind of got the formula of how they're supposed to feel worked out. At, at first, we were playing way too much music. You know, you need to give people a chance to talk. You need to give people a chance to just be. And we had to learn those lessons early, and, and, and we, we've gotten to the point now to where we're going – I think we played a show, right? You know, we, we're used to playing, you know, an hour and a half, two hours worth of music. And in and, and these, you know, we'll do four songs, take a break, let people breathe for a tell while. Tell a story. Tell a story, do a couple more. Um, but one of the really fun things that we, we did from the very beginning is we decided so randomly, just randomly, that we were going to play Proud Mary at the end amongst the tables <laughs> with acoustic. all acoustic. In, in with the diners. Why this, that song? Why? I don't know. We, we just decided. And we no have way. different people sing different verses. So no the way. guest will sing. We've had, we had our photographer we've sing. We've had Chef sing. Like, yeah, we've had sing. Zeb sing with us. So, so at, at the end of every one, we basically you know, smash the glass or whatever by going out into the middle and doing some acoustic music. And we end with Proud Mary. And everybody's singing. And you've got people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, oh, no, young no people. Fail. Everybody everybody's is standing clapping, and screaming. And like, you know, it's this. That sounds amazing. It's, I almost want to call it church. You know, it's, it's yeah. this different kind of feeling. Like, yeah. everybody's together. You all just had this amazing yeah, meal. Yeah, what's, You're what's, singing together. Yeah, it's a three-hour eating fest. And don't get me wrong, they're eating a lot of food, and I know what that's like. Like you said, I mean, I've been a million of these dinners. Oh, sure. It's it's a it's a task. Yeah. Especially when you're getting coarse food, and it's rich and delicious. And at the end, we give them espressos and coffees, and if they want after dinner drinks and desserts, and just take a breathe breather, and then we do this this kind of two or three numbers out in the crowd, and end with this song. And people, it's like it's like the the like. <sighs> To the end of the night, yeah, they just have, let it all out, yeah, have and you, it feels so good. It feels so good to watch people just be completely satiated and yeah. happy. And I, I think that just speaks so well to the disarming nature of a meal being executed, you know. And the, there, there's something that you kind of, you know, just throw your inhibitions to the wind, and people just kind of come let as loose. they are, and like everyone's gonna sing a song yeah. that they're comfortable with, yeah. especially when. Everybody knows the word. Have yeah. you guys gotten a recording of that, by the way? Huh? Like of, of people like just like the gang vocal oh, nature of that. Like, oh, yeah. oh my gosh, we they have a th- we have a 360 version of it with a 360 camera sitting Lowry, on a, right? a, a, yeah. a dining room yeah, table Lowry. with David Lowry. So we're gonna have to get like the vocal of that to like play. Like we'll take a break like right around here <laughs> in this in this episode so people can listen to just like that energy. But that just like that to me is just the. Um, you know the. I think there's there's the magic right there. I think what you guys have in, have incorporated into Dinner Bell is, yeah. you know, here's you know quite quite possibly a room full of people, and there could very well be like the six degrees of separation between person A and person Z. Yeah, you don't know, sure. but like that, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that you don't know who one another are. Nope. You're sharing this experience, and it's not just like you had the same food that I did. That's cool. It's you you now have the same memory that I do. That's, that's yeah. unheard it's, of. It's dude. special. And I think, you know, something that I think musicians struggle with a lot in today's like music industry climate is how do you make an impact? You know, yeah. how do you make, how do you create a, a, a product with your music that can't be taken for free or bartered by a middleman that 
just has your music for some reason. You know, what, what is it that we can create that's meaningful to, to human beings, you know? And I think that's, for us, that's where Dinner Bell is, has led us. We're, we're able to cre- kind of create an experience. And it's not just for the diners either. It's for the guest musicians and the mm-hmm. guest chefs. Like, mm-hmm. my goal every time is, can I make the Indigo Girls have a, a, an amazing night? Yeah. You know, because... It, we all know, like, as, as a musician, you have those gigs, you're just like, okay, I got to get through it, right? I've got, I'm, there's a paycheck or whatever, and, and we want this to be an experience for the people that are coming to yeah, work, and, too, and, right? And the bigger musicians, at, like the Indigo Girls, they might not feel that way, but they're playing in arenas every night to 12, 13,000 people. There's no connection. There's a barricade wall with a media staff, and they, they come on stage, they go off stage. What I'm just mean adverse of that is we get them the they are they're in the rest there's no green room and in, yeah. in a intimate opportunity like, yeah. you're sitting there we we feed them like yeah. you're gonna be a part of this too and they yeah. love it and they talk to people and they hang out afterwards and it's like I remember seeing the Indigo Girls at Watershed both Amy and Emily and people everywhere and at different tables they were like drinking and talking to people and I'm like look at this people are like having their last espresso and talking to the Indigo Girls at Watershed. Part, part of their own history and Zeb was seated at another table and the band were people all over I'm like I love this like, yeah. this is it for it's, me. Re- it's is- really fun to you know there's a, all this separation a lot of times between you know famous people and this and that but it's really fun just to be like we're all people you know and I think food is that common denominator again we're all just people doing something together and if there's anything that people leave with from our band that's what I would love for them to take away is just like it's it's not about there's no ego involved with it at all yeah. you know and that's I think rare in music I, I know that there yeah. there are other things that are egoless in in yeah. the industry but I, I really like that idea of creating something that is it's not about you it's not about you the artist it's about everybody together and what that's yeah. what that means to everybody yeah and I think that's another part of the food industry as well like I think a lot of people you know immediately think of like the chef the persona the ego. You know, that immediately comes through the front door. Like, everybody's expecting, like, you're a chef, like, you're unrolling your knife bag, and there's just, you know, like, you're doing reductions, and there's fire, and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, someone like Zeb Stevenson, just a cool dude. Like, just a really cool dude. Annie Quattrano, like, probably have a great conversation with her, and she has amazing stories to tell. But, like, you don't always just get, like, this person bleeding with ego, you know? But the same thing in in the music industry. Like, there's people that are just true salt of the earth that really understand like what it just means to be a person like what it means to be human like how do people like to be spoken to and experience life you know and um it's not always like i have to be wowed like wow me to make me feel like i'm alive and a part of planet earth like it's it's just like real experience you know and um, that makes you feel alive (laughs) make me feel yeah make me feel like a kid again yeah and i'm gonna sing proud mary with a glass of red wine in my hand and I don't know who these people are exactly yeah but my my 17 year old self if I went to a dinner <laughs> and like the indigo girls were playing music like my head would probably have ex- exploded for sure like I'd be just kind of <laughs> blown away but um but man I this was just so fun guys like just hearing you know your story you know like just hearing about the band and I mean dinner bell I uh, this is just super cool. I feel so lucky just to know that we have this happening for in Atlanta. Talking to us about it. Oh my gosh, big time! But yeah, I mean, like with the last like couple minutes here, like tell me, like you know, I mean, two questions: like what's next for the Quiet Hounds and what's next for Dinner Bell? We have a Dinner Bell plan. Tickets are not on sale yet for September twenty third 
at Bacchanalia. Annie has told me she is going to do breakfast for dinner, which is going to be amazing. So if you're not there, then I mean your life is meaningless. <laughs> yes. So breakfast for dinner for me. Breakfast for dinner, Annie style. Yeah. Coursed. Yeah. Um, we will let those tickets out pretty soon. If you follow uh, Dinner Bell ATL uh, on Twitter, I mean on Instagram, Twitter, and then dinnerbellatl.com and quietounds.com also, you can sign up for that and you'll find out about the Dinner Bells. And then Quiet Hounds is playing a show September 2nd uh, at the Tabernacle. That I saw this. Yeah, there's a big uh, a beer fest craft beer thing? fest yeah, that yeah, they yeah. just threw together. And uh, a lot of our peers in the music business that we have we love um, are playing. And a lot of the beer brewers that we love, that we've actually worked with, are going to be a part of it too. And again, back to what Deke was saying earlier about this whole junction of stuff we like to do things that revolve around our community uh, we just played monday night brewing's seventh anniversary party yes yeah. not something a band like us musically would make sense to play that it, it's we're not covering motown it's not <laughs> you don't come to dance to it sure. in that way yeah but because of our relationship with the brewer and us they wanted us to be there for their party and it just makes it so real to me. And when the Tabernacle put this thing together, it's like all these amazing craft breweries that we love that are helping the city, all these bands and artists from around the southeast that are doing the same. Let's get together and have a day party. It's just something we like to do. Yeah. That's but those awesome. are on sale at tabernacle.com. Yeah, that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, we just I just want to say, too, like we're, we've been really fortunate to have been so embraced by the community. Like, you know, it's it's easy to kind of sit back and and think about the things that you know you don't have as a band you know the accolades that you know we would love to have things that we would love to achieve but i think we've been really embraced by this community you know all of these partners and restaurants and and breweries and just all these people have really they they let us do what we want you know they let us make creative experiences they don't you know we're not we don't go out and play covers we play original music we play quiet hounds music and people love that and they let us do it all over the city and so it's really cool to you know just have an audience and a, and a fan base that, that lets us do what we love that's really cool that's awesome and our biggest love uh, you can talk to this a little is making records and we're about to start that process too Ooh. yeah, yeah we, uh, we, we have just a handful of tunes that we started tracking in um, a buddy's uh, rehearsal space at 800 East in Inman Park and um, we've been playing so many private shows, um, uh, kind of putting that on the back burner, but we're eager to get back and, and start working on those tunes again. So, um, yeah, look out for something either late fall or uh, this winter. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. That's good. It'll give, uh, it'll give us something new to spin because, like, my kids, like, they... <laughs> They ask for like the same They're quiet house. I know, right now. man. It's like guys. Like, there's like another really. I was like, listen to Night Parade. That's a great. Like, you guys, you guys are gonna love that one, you know. But like, new, new Quiet Hounds that tracks. Is, uh, that's gonna well, be a great. Well, for listeners who are totally new to Quiet Hounds, which I would assume would be most of them, yeah. um, we do have our new, our newest record that came out uh, last summer. But it, we just kind of had. It's you know, we're kind of slow with our rotation of music. But uh, our newest record is Characteristics of Living Things. Yes, it's on Spotify. You can find it everywhere that music can be found. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, listen to that. In the meantime, we'll be working on some yeah. new stuff. Oh, and check out the video. Um, we, we got a video for uh, oh, it's badass. A, a single on that. Um, that's called Emperors. And you can see that at quiethounds.com. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I'll have, like, links to everything. Like, I'm going to 
like festoon this episode <laughs> page with like just I mean there's so much stuff like between the band and dinner bell like it's just like a media feast which I don't really like saying that sounds like really weird to say but like there's just there's yeah. a lot going on yeah. so like I want to make sure that you know people can find like you know you guys music and all that kind of stuff but man Mike Deke Eric like this was just a blast guys so thanks for yeah, being thanks on the show thank you yeah. so much thanks for yeah. having us yeah, yeah appreciate it As we wrap up here, you're listening to the track Thieves from the same record, Characteristics of Living Things. And I just absolutely love this track. But many, many thanks go out to Mike and Eric and Deke from The Quiet Hounds for joining me this week and for letting me use some of their music for this week's episode. And if you've yet to see these guys at a show around town or if you haven't picked up any of their music just yet, head to the episode page and check out a few of the links that I have there. You can check out some of their music on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere that music is available to purchase. And also, if you're like me and can't wait to get tickets for the next dinner bell, go ahead and mark your calendars for September 23rd at Bacchanalia. And keep your eyes on our Instagram because we're going to be sharing a link once those tickets are live for you to purchase. But until next time, I cannot wait to bring you guys more stories from local chefs, culinary entrepreneurs, and people who are making Atlanta the greatest city for eaters. I'm your host, Ben Getz. Thanks again for listening to the Atlanta Foodcast. Tell me something.